Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 aboard the Nebuchadnezzar here in 2019. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And today we are um, so excited to, one, have Emily Vanderwerf on the podcast with us. She is the critic at large. Critic at large, yes. Is uh, Would it be the critic at large or a critic at large? The critic at large. The there, critic there at large. There isn't another one yet. Excellent. Yeah. I'm keeping them <laughs> at bay. <laughs> <laughs> the critic at large at Vox Media. And uh, she's joined us to do I mean, one of the finest films ever made, The Matrix. It really is. You know, I have to say, um, first of all, we went to see it yeah. together mm-hmm. um, on the 20th anniversary to the day of its release on March 31st uh, at the Arclight. Which was also the 10th Trans Day of Visibility, which was Which like, was a nice, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a nice little connection there. Um, I had not seen it on the big screen since 99. I don't know if you had. No, that was my, that was my first time seeing it on the screen, big screen since 99, yeah. And it, I mean- we talked about it, uh, you know, at length when we left the theater, but it just really fucking hit me. Yeah. How, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit of this on text too, but mm-hmm. I mean, this movie is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you see it that big and you see just how expansive and just every corner of this movie is thought through and brilliant, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it just, there's, there isn't an inch of it that isn't, uh, either fun or thoughtful or just cool. Like it's just, it really, really 
I don't know. I I noticed that too. I'm I lost for my iPhone in bed at two a.m. <laughs> As the Wachowskis wanted. Which is really how I watched it. I also, I also want to say, some people say Wachowski, but I looked online and it is Wachowski. Wachowski, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear that that is, just because I don't want it to sound like we're mispronouncing their name. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is, we talked a little bit about this on our throw to this episode, but, and maybe you'll just, obviously we want to hear your thoughts on this well. Uh, is there a movie that left a bigger footprint? From 99. From 99. Phantom Menace. See, that's what I said. He didn't even think it, it – I, I mean oh, I think that Phantom Menace – I don't know if it's bigger, but it's it's comparable. Phantom Menace, the idea of digital environments, digital creations, like that's a big thing we live with right now. But also the whole idea of like resurrecting an old IP. It's like the old oh, – like literally now we're in an era where people are trying to do that with The Matrix. Like, Which will happen. That's <sighs> a, I, I understand that point, but that doesn't seem like that was born of – Phantom Menace. Mm. That seems like Phantom Menace. I mean, the first part was for sure. Um, and also kind of the, they used to, they, 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 it was the first time they did kind of the, uh, like the grafting on people's faces, emotions mm-hmm. as well. So that's obviously, you know, kept on, but that is a little more inside baseball to me. But the Matrix, um, in terms of storytelling, in terms of the themes it presented, in terms of its effect on science fiction and kind of filmmaking at large, I don't think there's anything. Well, I would, that I would really, really comes close. Yes, I mean maybe I, Fight Club, I, to be honest. But I, I think that, and maybe this is uh, short-sighted or, or what have you. But I think that from a pure production perspective, right? This film had, I mean, bullet time. And what what we saw, I mean, what they were able to accomplish from a sheer just actual production element of it, I think is pretty unprecedented. It's incredible. I mean, there's a, a great io9 article um, talking about the moment that things changed, the moment that the Matrix felt sort of unlike anything else. Um, and I'd love to hear how you guys first saw it as well. But I went to see it. I saw a, an early screening of it before it had been released. I think it was a couple days, maybe a week or so beforehand. Mm-hmm. My friend Dimitri came to the video store that I was working at at the time and had one of – do you remember the cardstock movie tickets? Do you remember what those used oh, to be sure. like? Where it was like – and it had – it looked like a photocopied poster and it said like admit to or something like that. Like it was an actual like – Yeah. You know, and he came and he was like, hey, I got tickets to see this. Do you want to see it? And – I had think, you heard of it? No. I don't think I had heard of it either. I didn't I even know it. what it was. I think that Keanu was a little bit in the wilderness at this point. I didn't For feel sure. like yeah, people yeah. really knew or cared as much about him. And I was like, this Keanu Reeves in a movie called The Matrix? Like it just – it really didn't mean fucking anything to me. But it was free. And I was like, <laughs> sure. I'll go and see it. It has a real – if it didn't become what it became, it has a real direct-to-video vibe. A hundred percent. So I mean, he's done Johnny Demonic a couple years previous. Yeah. He's he's kind of been in this lane before. If it failed, he would have been a direct-to-video guy for sure. So Lawrence Fishburne also also a guy that had you know Carrie Ann Moss obviously wasn't anything at that point. Mm-hmm. Joey Pants was sort of you know indie, but like so I went to see it, and I remember at a theater that no longer exists in Toronto. The movie starts, and. I immediately thought to myself, well, this looks really slick. I don't think I had seen Bound up until that point. I'm pretty sure that I hadn't. And when she fucking goes up and the camera goes around her, the audience just screamed and lost their shit. And I got goosebumps (laughs) and I was just like, this is – like it it just felt like an absolute game changer. You just felt like you would never – and I'm not convinced – I am convinced that I have not seen anything like it since. I've never been in a movie since. One other movie I can remember that felt like that, Crouching Tiger. 
But yeah. Crouching Tiger, just, also just because it was so naturalistic too. I didn't expect those that kind of visuals of, sure, in that sure, environment. Sure. Yeah. But that's it. But it, it just yeah. – it was it was a moment where I, I just – it truly felt like cinema changed. In that moment, I saw something I had never seen before. And the, the io9 writer, you know, he's an older guy than I am. He, he went to see Back to the Future in the theater. He had seen like, you know, movies that we look at as, in, as hallmarks of our childhood. And it's just unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And I left the theater. I will say this. When he flies at the end, I kind of laughed. And I was like, what? <laughs> but now I'm just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> with, with Wake Up playing, I thought it was the greatest thing <laughs> so, of all time. Yeah. But at the time, I was just fucking jaded 19-year-old or whatever and just being like, why is he flying? Like I didn't even think it was – like that it was a bridge to another movie. I was just like, what, he flies now? Like I just didn't – I just honestly just didn't get it. You were a jerk. Was, was, One other movie I could think of that had that kind of effect on me. It just came out. Uh-oh. Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> really? Yeah, Into the Spider. And we said this to Miguel when he was here. This And Matrix feels very similar to me in that Matrix was so far beyond what I thought was capable at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that way about Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse looks like nothing I've seen, no animation, no animated film I'd ever seen, and also no superhero film I'd ever seen or even thought of. Yeah. Um, so many steps beyond that we now are filling in the blanks between whatever came before it and Spider-Verse. And I actually don't know if we've ever – Filled in all the blanks to Matrix. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that because you you were texting me a little yeah, bit about want, about hear, that idea of like this, yes. what other movies, what other sci-fi movies come even close to sort of having the impact that this movie had from the last twenty years. So, and, and and I said Inception, and I will say this: it does Inception doesn't exist without the Matrix. I'm not going to say that it, that right, it, that it right. can. The hallway sequence when when it's turning and the car. That was the closest, yeah. I think, for me in a theater being like, this is a symphony of image and thought and like all of it's just really colliding in a beautiful way. But again, that's a sequence in that movie, a movie that I really love. But The Matrix does that basically for two hours and 20 minutes. It also has a um, – like I know that they made Bound before, but it also has like an Orson Welles quality to it, which is like right. where did these people come from? Whereas Nolan at that point was – they're expecting – well, that, you think know, of, um, prestige into incredible. Dark Knight, into Inception. Yeah, it's just you're, like, you're, it's, and he had done Memento at that point. You're 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 expecting something yeah. of that caliber. You got it. What was your experience like seeing it for the first time? And I also want to know what other sci-fi yeah. movies you think. I was going to say, it depends how you classify it. I think The Avengers is definitely the like everybody's. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Controlling yeah. the weather. Yeah, no. Uh, everybody's chasing that first Joss Whedon Avengers, yeah. that yeah. final battle, yeah. like that. Everybody's still trying to get there, and they can't quite. That like, is a symphony too. Um, yeah. I think you could maybe make an argument for Black Panther, but more on the level of representation than like filmmaking sure. craft. But like that movie's representation is phenomenal, sure. and like that's why people are so. Feel like they need to fill in the blanks to get to Black Panther. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, my first experience seeing The Matrix, um, this may surprise our listeners to hear, but I am a trans woman. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, when I was in high school, I was kind of obsessed with The Matrix. I saw it with my then girlfriend. When the bug goes down his belly button, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like that was yeah. that was my I'm in, you yeah. know, even though it terrified me and I was freaked out by it. Um, it just it really felt to me like 
the idea that you could go online and you could be anyone. And like, that's as far as I let that thought get at 18. And I was like, we're not going to go any further with that. (laughs) But yeah, like there was something in this movie that I keyed into that I spent the next 20 years unraveling. And um, yeah, like that, that for me seeing it, and it was several weeks after it had come out. It was probably six to eight weeks after it had come out. And it was, uh, we were about the only people in the theater, my girlfriend, Katie and I, and um, we sat there kind of in the dark and like a lot of it had been spoiled for me by that point. A lot oh, of the big sequences, I hadn't heard about this bug thing. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. uh-huh. I do find sometimes that when sci-fi stuff goes into the movies, people frequently are like, oh my God, what an original concept. Do you remember that short World of Tomorrow? Um, the Don Hertzfeld one. It's animated. It's about a girl from the future going back and like meeting her childhood self or something. Mm-hmm. I saw that movie and everybody was like, what an original wild concept. And I, I read a lot of sci-fi. So I was like, this is not yeah. all that new. And kind of I felt that way with The Matrix. A lot of it is from – Comics, science fiction novels, things like that. But the way it was the way it was put together felt super new. And I don't know that we've ever quite gotten there yet. Certainly there are filmmakers out there who could make something like this, but they're all being sort of shunted into franchise stuff. So they don't have the freedom. Ryan Coogler doesn't have the freedom to make something like this. He found his own freedom within this studio system. Mm -hmm. But like what the Wachowskis got here that they like the matrix. The reason I think it's not as influential as Phantom Menace is because that freedom starts to go away almost immediately after this comes out. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it just, except for them, it's just so, except they, except yeah. they, except they've had, yeah, but now they're done. They're saying they're done. They're saying they're done. They're saying they're I done. just saw that. I believe he, yes. it was Lily. Is Lily. Lily's doing a TV show, yeah, yes. for Showtime. But it seems like she's just supervising someone. That, that, the sense yeah. I got was that it was someone else's show that she's supervising. But well, and, and Lana's made it pretty clear that she's done. Yeah, Lana seems like she's more interested in political activism right now. Yeah. I, I really don't blame her. I mean, they, they've shut down yeah. their Chicago production office. Yeah, I mean, that's. It sounds like Lily found this uh, lesbian comedian from chicago that she really likes and is helping shepherd this tv show but yeah as far as the two of them doing another movie like jupiter ascending kind of shut that down unfortunately and then sensei it was just not as big a thing as it you know could have been as i think netflix thought it was going to be you know i i I have to say i did not give sensei enough of a shot it's interesting because this kind of does fall into the argument we have almost every day (laughs) about netflix and I wonder how Sense8 would have been received if it was on any other platform. Right. Um, Netflix does have this thing where even it's – and I, I think the people who watch Sense8 seem to really like it. Oh, really yeah. love it. It's a, it's a good show. Yeah, yeah, really like it. So I wonder if it was if it was on any other flat, p- platform, including Amazon, including Hulu, if it would have had more of a kind of resonance. Um, but It did also Netflix, launch at like, a weird kind of, time for It's its own shit. Well, that, but also I feel like to your point, mm-hmm. it launched – Pretty early in the days of Netflix. Yeah, you know, I think it was like the most their part. fifth or sixth show. It was yeah. early, mm-hmm. early enough that I think they were expecting a splashier show or a yeah. splashier, at least embracing of the show, which it didn't get. And then they just kind of, to your point, became one of yeah. a bunch of shows and they stopped caring. And then there was a, a, a huge, fierce calling when it was canceled at the end of season two for some sort of resolution. And then they did a kind of a Christmas specialty thing from what they I heard. Did a, they did a two-hour – Two and a half hour movie that they concluded with an orgy. 
that was, sure. you know, <laughs> sure as you do, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a psychic pansexual orgy, which is like, like if that's how the, I guess Lily was not as involved in Sensei, but if that's how the Wachowskis' career, career as um directors a as a yeah. pair closes out, perfect. <laughs> ask for a better way to go out. I mean, they, it, it is, you know. It, it's funny. We talked about this a little bit too is when we left uh, the, the theater for The Matrix, but you know, Blank Check has really made me re sort of uh, reorient a lot of filmmakers for me. A lot of films reappraise a lot of movies that I hadn't thought of, mm. or at least in the same way. Um, and the Wachowskis are probably at the top of that list of filmmakers mm. who I respected. I thought you always kind of liked everything they've done. No. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't like Cloud Atlas? Uh, no. You didn't like Speed Racer? No. Oh, okay. Um, wow. And I, I'm sorry. I know. I've, I've, come ar- I've come around. I've come around. I'm surprised. That's all. <laughs> no, I, I, I wanted to. They, they are the type of – I mean I think that the collective film-going community – wanted everything that they touched after this movie to be as good as this movie. I think we were all rooting for them to be mm-hmm. the greatest filmmakers that ever were. And I remember seeing Reloaded, uh, admittedly hungover, opening nice. weekend, and did not like it. Um, I was just – and part of it is I was hungover. Well, I don't, and, I don't you know, like Reloaded and I don't like Revolutions and I don't see myself ever liking either of those movies. But I do like Speed Racer and I do like <laughs> – Cloud Atlas. If you can see Emily's face um, right there, just just processing. Do you, do you like Reloaded and Revolutions? I I don't actually believe this, but I could write an article arguing that Reloaded is better than The Matrix. I could Roger Ebert that. did. He did. Yeah. His yeah. reviews are bizarre, uh, I think which we'll get into. In a I sec. think Revolutions is Revolutions clearly shows for being made at the same time as Reloaded, mm-hmm. and they were just fucking sick of it. I think it's be- it's better than I remembered. I watched all of them. Uh, earlier this year, uh, around the time of the 20th anniversary. Um, but I think Reloaded is genuinely daring and interesting and well-made in a way that people don't give it credit for because it wasn't what they were expecting. And I think that time has been kinder to that movie than people would have expected. I'll, I think it's been kinder I'll to watch both it, of them. I'll watch it again. I, I mean, I, I, I really should. will because I love – I. I, I, I think I liked them a lot more than you remember. I liked The Matrix more after this rewatch than I ever liked it. And mm-hmm. again, it was my fifth movie this year yeah. and one of the main reasons I wanted to do this podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will watch it again. And in the truth, that's actually true for all the Wachowskis movies. That's, first, that's kind of – that was first my – First Speed Racer watch, I was like, what is this? First yeah. Cloud Atlas watch, I couldn't get through it. So I, I almost want to watch Jupiter Ascending again. I, so. I, I will say – and this is sort of – was my point on the blank check of it all, which is they really just sort of, they opened my mind to what they're specifically more David Sims in terms of what they were trying to do. Things that I was not locked into or under or open to that. Now I'm just like, Oh, they're just, they're just better than everybody else. Like they're just ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And, and that's why reloaded and, and revolutions I mean that trilogy I remember I got in arguments with people when I first moved out here. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, Barrett, I remember getting in a big sort of discussion with him and him talking about how rich those that whole trilogy is and me being very dismissive of the other two mm-hmm. films because that was sort of, to your point, not what we expected. Yeah. And it's it is just – it's very interesting. Reloaded and and Revolutions are, are fascinating films. I, I have my issues with them and I, I do think this is arguably still my favorite of the trilogy. But it, it's just – there's no one doing what 
they did and had done. And I'm bummed that they're not going to make more, quite honestly. But yeah, we can hope that maybe they, you know, they, well, they sort of works making. I think they can. will. I think they will when the world political situation yeah. abruptly resolves itself. We fix climate change. Oh, yeah. Like all these things we're going to do in the next two or three years. And then they're going to be like, all right, we're going to make some more yeah. movies. The, yeah. the world's, the world is okay again. Yeah. 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 No, that's <laughs> the okay. world is safe for our films. So, um, I'm going to read the synopsis of the matrix for the two people that don't know what sure. the matrix is about. Uh, Neo played my by mom Kim. and dad who <laughs> I actually saw this movie with. Really? Saw it with my family. Yeah. on, on a vacation. Really? And I think we all liked it. I know I loved it. Oh, I'm I sure. think my parents liked it. Really? Yeah. I th- I think I don't know if my I I my mom definitely saw it and probably liked it, but so Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, believes that Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, an elusive figure considered to be the most dangerous man alive, can answer his question, what is the Matrix? Neo is contacted by Trinity, played by Carrie Ann Moss, a beautiful stranger who leads him into an underworld where he meets Morpheus. This is the strangest fucking vlog line. They fight a brutal battle for their lives against a cadre of Vicious, intelligent, secret agents. It is the truth that could cost Neo something more precious than his life. Well, guys, you've seen the the Matrix. Matrix. (laughs) Right? That's the Matrix. They're still trying to keep the twist. (laughs) Yeah, they're trying to to keep it a secret. They're trying to keep it a secret. Do you remember how the marketing around this was just – Bizarre. What is the, what is the, the matrix? matrix? And like I, yeah, that, I think yeah. that was the direct-to-video vibe of it all. It yeah. felt like it's... an ARG for a video. Game. It really did. Warner Brothers didn't do this film any favors. They didn't Whatever. Really, well, it worked. It did work, but I do think that it did reek of a marketing campaign by a studio mm-hmm. that didn't. They knew they had something. They didn't know how to convey it to other people. It's kind of similar in its own way to how they didn't really know how to market Inception, how they didn't really know how to market. Like it's just, it's stuff like that where they're just like, we have something great and we just hope that we don't fuck this up. And in the process, they kind of don't do a great job. Both of those movies had a, a word of mouth. You got to see this vibe. True. Yeah. You know, and there was almost no way to fuck it up. Like they're, again, they're kind of the two most important science fiction movies of the last yeah. 20 years. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess you're right. It was not the greatest marketing campaign, but whatever. They, they got the word out the line. I, I, sorry, you know what other sci-fi movies had as big a footprint as this? Mm. Detective Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go down the Pikachu everybody, road? Everybody, we, everybody loves it. It's I universally beloved. We just went 10, oh, we just went 10 minutes up Pikachu before you got here. Yeah. We were, we were <laughs> big fans. Uh, I think it's interesting too. So the Matrix, op- Matrix opens on March 31st, 1999, first place, $27.8 million against 10 Things I Hate About You and the Out of Towners. It would go on to make 400. When was it released? Oh, what the fuck is the Out of Towners? Steve Martin, Goldie Hawn remake oh, of the, of Jesus. the, yeah. yeah, we'll be doing it soon. Yeah, we'll you can go back over that one. <laughs> uh, you'll be here for you and Libby. <laughs> it's a shitty movie. You know, Libby will be here. <laughs> she loves it. Um, it would go on to make $463 million on a $63 million budget. Is that worldwide or? Domestic? That's worldwide. What, what, what weekend did it come out? What time? March of the year? 31st, 1999. Yeah. So, right. which is a smart release date for it. It's, it's like, is that Easter that year? Yes, that's mm-hmm. the Easter weekend. So, okay. Yeah. They wanted to get, and it was a Wednesday. So they opened a couple days early to try to capitalize on that, which was smart. Right. Um, and truthfully, I don't think Phantom Menace got out from underneath it. No. Ever. <laughs> like, I think that that movie comes out and it just kills and no one saw it coming and no one knew how big it was going to be. No one knew how cool it was going to be. And it just outcooled Star Wars. Like, Star Wars made more money, obviously, and Star Wars had kids and all of that. But The Matrix was a, a hard R 
And it was just the the fucking coolest movie that's ever been. And you can't touch that. It's, it's kind of like when South Park did that bit about Family Guy, how they come up with their jokes. With the manatees? Yeah. <laughs> with the manatees. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. I just – Where are you going with this? It, well, it's Al Cooling thing. It, it didn't oh. like kill the, fra- the Family yeah. Guy franchise. Yeah. But it made me feel like a loser <laughs> for, liking for watching Family Guy, Family Guy from yeah. that point forward. That's funny. That's so, funny. I, which yeah. I think this kind of that's has fair. a similar that's thing. That's fair. Yeah. I get that. There's definitely things where like somebody will say a thing or you'll see a thing and it just like – like, oh, it yeah. shatters the glass yes. for you in terms yeah. of like, can I enjoy this anymore? You yeah. know, it, it, yeah, it, I think that it also just, we were expecting Star Wars to be groundbreaking, mm-hmm. which was maybe an unreal expectation. But what were you going to do? We didn't know anything no, else at that point. No, I know, but I, I just mean, in, I mean, in general, there like, was no Matrix. No, so it, 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 right. I know, I know yeah. what you're saying, but Star Wars, we, we were right. <laughs> to, to, no, we, no we, that's what I I'm saying. I we agree. were right to, to feel that way and have that expectation yeah, for yeah. those movies. Yeah. But, it, but it, it, it just goes to show that, I mean, first of all, originality. We really should be embracing that. Mm-hmm. But also just, you now know. more than ever. No, seriously. But it, it, it's just, I think that was maybe the most, the thing that hit me the hardest was, I've never seen anything like this before. And Star Wars was inevitably going to feel familiar yeah and then familiar on top of also way aged down in the hopes of it's just death or at least at the time it was i think that people are you know reappraising the prequels in their own way and and finding ways to love them a little bit but um and i actually would say that the best thing that can be said or one of the best things that can be said about the new star wars movies Mm -hmm. is that yeah. Is that they found a way to kind of warm you up to what existed in these other films and make it all feel very kind of somewhat cohesive for what that's worth. Um, this is something that's interesting. The Matrix has 88% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 85 from audiences, which feels low to me. Yeah, and this is kind of the early era of – like I think Rotten Tomatoes launched in 98, 99. Yes. Yeah. So like it, like these are original reviews it's counting. A lot of the time when yeah. you get like a classic movie, the reviews that they're counting are like – not release reviews, yeah. but like re-release mm-hmm. reviews. Like DVD so like, reviews. Or, yeah. This is definitely the response to it. And I kind of remember that there were a lot of people who were deeply confused by this movie. Like the idea that there are multiple layers of reality yep. really throws people every well, time old it people. comes out. <laughs> Not even that. Like Inception, I found incredibly easy to follow. And right. a lot of people are like, oh my god, what the fuck is Where that? am I? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I think that's the point with both of these movies. I, I, I think that's the brilliance of these two movies is – they seem a lot more complex mm-hmm. than they actually are, mm-hmm. right? They're, this is very easy to, to, to understand what they're, what they're talking about here. And they do this thing. I mean, it's like, it's not the best show of all time, but does this really well. Um, with 13 reasons why, what they did to differentiate between the past and the future with the kid having, um, I think the black eye or something like, mm-hmm. or the, or the, or the cut on his face or whatever. Yeah. So you always knew. With the, the portal in the back of Neo's head or everyone's head, it's very easy to kind of tell where you oh, are that's interesting. at all times. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. it for me. That's enough to kind of understand mm-hmm. that there's, there's this world mm-hmm. where they look like this and they have the portals and there's this world where they don't and they're walking around like real people. I think yeah. that's so simple and visual makes it so easy. I also – I mean I'm sorry, but the second that, that Zion becomes part of – you know what I mean? Like when, once we see that world, that's which reloaded. is so – Sorry? No, no, no. I'm talking about like – or the Nebuchadnezzar. I, I'm saying that once he's oh. pulled out of the Matrix mm-hmm. and 
if you if you're really lost, like if you're really confused, but I'm not saying you, I mean the no, user I know. Job, I'm just like, what are you confused about right now? Like you've got this slick green tinted world where everyone looks like a fucking badass, and then you've got everybody looking, they're eating oatmeal, and they look like it's clearly two different consciousnesses. Also, have Morpheus but, literally tell you what's happening, yeah. right? Yeah, but people get lost in exposition. I find if there's yeah. a lot of it, like this one does, they do a good job. I, they do a terrific job. Quick. I think. I think again, Inception does a terrific job. Another one, you know, anytime though, you start to introduce different levels of reality. Like there are people who want flowcharts. You know, yeah. basically, what kind of bogs down Interstellar for me is these segments where they're like, "We're going to draw this on a whiteboard." What's yeah. happening? I love Interstellar, I but. Do too. It's but also it's, got a lot of places where it just kind of – everything stops. So we this can learn about physics. moves like a freight train and its exposition is so beautifully delineated into the story. Yeah. It, it's just – it's – That's like it's the magical. improv thing where it's just go ahead and tell people what's happening yeah. and then move past it. Yeah. It's, it's Sometimes it's just worth it to just throw the exposition at them and just move past it. I like – I don't love that in, in Inception, you know, like that 45-minute thing where he's yeah. just explaining the world yeah. to Ellen Page. But you need it. Yeah. I feel like you need it, and I, you get the rules across really well that way, and then I can really enjoy the last two hours of that movie. Yeah, so. I agree with that. So I'm going to read a chunk of Roger Ebert's somewhat baffling review of The Matrix. What did he give it? What's it, What are the stars? He gave it three stars. Okay, okay. Uh, he says, The Matrix is a visually dazzling cyber adventure full of kinetic excitement, but it retreats to a formula just when it's getting interesting. It's kind of a letdown when a movie begins by redefining the nature of reality and ends with a shootout. We want a leap of imagination, not one of those obligatory climaxes with automatic weapons fire. Too bad, because the setup is intriguing. Do you want me to finish before Fuck you? Fuck you! <laughs> okay. All right, go ahead. Too bad, because the setup is intriguing. The Matrix recycles the premise of Dark City and Strange Days, turns up the heat, the volume, and borrows the gravity-defying choreography of Hong Kong action movies. It's fun, but it could have been more. Both Dark City and Strange Days offered intriguing motivations for villainy. The Matrix is more like a superhero comic book in which the fate of the world comes down to a titanic fistfight between the designated representatives of good and evil. It's cruel, really, to put tantalizing ideas on the table and then ask the audience to be satisfied with a shootout and a martial arts duel. The Matrix did not bore me. It is interest. It interested me so much indeed that I wanted to be challenged even more. I wanted it to follow its material to audacious conclusions to arrive not simply at victory but a revelation. I wanted an ending that was transformational like Dark Cities and not one that simply throws us sensational action sequences I wanted in short a third act. So Kenny and I texted a little bit about this. And Roger Ebert's love of Dark City baffles both of us. I have one point to make before we get into that, okay. which I could talk about for hours. He sounded like Armand White in that review. Like, really? <laughs> I, he still gave it three stars. It's just it's like, just, it's, it's, it's all backhanded it's, compliments. It's, it's this Armand White thing, or Armand White, whatever, thing where he, where I, I happen to love his reviews, right? Like, I love, yeah. I do. I, th- I find them endlessly fascinating. I find them challenging. I really, really like reading them, but I also see what I, I, I see what he's doing. Yeah. And I, it's that Armand White thing where he takes something that everyone that says is good and says, Oh, but it's not nearly as good as this thing that I only saw yeah. at like the Venice Film Festival six years ago. <laughs> um, or this other thing that only like I remember from 30 years ago. He, like, that's the only time Roger Ebert ever has ever pulled that shit. And it's with his little pet project. Dark City. I know. Okay, so that's also Roger dark, yeah, Ebert does that a lot, though. Like he latches on to like mm-hmm. mostly he kind of undercuts. What are like he wasn't a big fan of the Lord of the Rings movies. Neither no, am um, And he wasn't a huge fan of like. There's a lot of those. Some of those genre things 
in this window, he gets a little like, why is this so violent? Why does it end with a shootout? I love Dark City. I think The Matrix is better, but I do love Dark City. So. I mean, I also feel like The Matrix was written before Dark City, so stop making it seem as though The Matrix is ripping off Dark City and Strange Days. <laughs> it's a little bit crazy to me. Um, but I, I just also well, – You also – both these I movies think, can exist. Of course they can. I, speaking as a critic at large, as mm. the, <laughs> the critic large, That's what we've heard. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a thing critics do that audiences frequently misinterpret where we're yeah. like, OK, this is like this thing and people are like, oh, you're saying it's ripping it off. And no, like we're talking about there was something in the water in mm. the late 90s uh-huh. that was like we don't live in reality and Strange Days – and Dark, Dark City, City. Yeah. and The Matrix are all circling that theme in very different ways. I think if you pinned Roger Ebert down, he'd never say they were that similar, but they were around kind of the same ideas. But I think audiences read that and like don't see that shorthand. They see it as, oh, this movie is just like those movies and it's ripping them But off. I think he – I would agree with you and I, I certainly don't mean to put words in his mouth. I, I do wonder though, he seems to have – an appreciation or more affection for mm-hmm. the influences that Dark City had versus the influence. Like he's he's not he calls it Metropolis. I mean, he's he, not interested in the Hong, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the the kung fu movies and the and the action influences because like Dark City is not really an action movie. Like Dark City is no, a, a noir, noir. yeah, mm-hmm. and of, so Ebert likes noir movies more, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's a taste thing. That's fine, but don't deride. That's what that the influences. It feels to me as if he's saying a, a quote unquote Hong Kong action movie yeah. is invalid in some that's, way. That's, I yeah. think I disagree with his ultimate conclusions. I don't disagree with that review. I think that review is more or less accurate. And I could tell you who I think agrees with him, and it's the Wachowskis because the next two movies are literally speaking to his point. Which is why he likes Reloaded a lot, and he doesn't like Revolutions, but he really <laughs> likes Reloaded because he feels like Reloaded is the movie that this tees up right yeah. i mean it goes it goes into the 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 real sort of the depth of consciousness and and so i i i appreciate that and again it's not a bad review it's just interesting when i look through all the reviews obviously i tried to cherry pick the, the stuff that i felt was the most appropriate but what i was really hit with was the 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 flood of people that loved the filmmakers that loved this movie I mean, first of all, not a filmmaker, but William Gibson talks about, obviously, um, oh, yeah. Neuromancer was a huge part. He talks about how Neo is his favorite science fiction hero ever, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Whedon calls it his number one movie and praises its storytelling structure and depth, says it works on whatever level you want to bring to it. Aronofsky says he walked into the Matrix and was thinking, what kind of science fiction movie can people make now? The Wachowskis basically took all the greatest sci-fi ideas of the 20th century and rolled them into a delicious pop culture sandwich that everyone on the planet devoured. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan loved it, and Simon Pegg said something, which which sort of taps into what we were talking about. He said that the Matrix provided the excitement and satisfaction the Phantom Menace failed to inspire. The Matrix seemed fresh and cool and visually breathtaking, making wonderful, intelligent use of CG to augment the on-screen action, striking a perfect balance of the real and hyper-real. It's possibly the coolest film I've ever seen. Like it, it really is just people that were, you know, that were ready for it, that were ready to kind of allow this movie into their lives. Really, really loved it, and I think yeah. some people had barriers. It feels a little bit like Ebert had some barriers that he wasn't really willing to kind of let it in. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I do want to think about like Peg Aronofsky, that kind of generation is – this is also the rise of Ain't It Cool News, like this era. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about how Phantom Menace never escaped this movie and a dark side of that is that idea that a thing had to be darker to be cool. Sure. That Ain't It Cool News, that – 
pro- that generation of film geeks who still a lot of them are writing yeah. online and have like really great jobs. Like that's where they sort of propagated that idea. And I think it was kind of a poisonous idea. And like, that's where we start to get what leads into things like Gamergate and the, yeah. I hate female ghostbusters. And like, there's this whole or Captain Marvel and like, what's crazy about the matrix is that that movie is part of this discussion, even though, it's made by two trans women. It's a movie about liberation. It's a movie about like ta- tearing down capitalism basically, but it's read as a movie about like tearing down feminism. And like that is – that's a wild thing for, to happen to this movie, which speaks to I think Joss Whedon's point that anything you want to bring to this movie, you can read into it, which is a great thing and also sometimes not so great. Well, it feels like that feels like a good entry point to talk about this red pill situation. Sure is because because <laughs> I I'm, I'm gonna be perfectly frank I didn't know much about it I, and and by that I mean I didn't I I did a little bit of reading on on this uh, insane misinterpretation of of this movie but so for the people that don't know and myself sort of included a little bit the red pill idea is that there are women that have taken the red pill. No. No. Or there's – okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> the idea is that you, Phil <laughs> – Don't throw me in this. As a cisgender man okay. in 2019 America are being held down by social justice causes, meaning non-white people, meaning women, meaning LGBT people and that the – And, soci- and, and yep. cis white allies mm-hmm. – the set that suppressing. So you, yes. you're you're one of the good people in this. Well, yeah. one of the you're, bad. Yeah, people. you're you're an ally, and you are like so. You would be written off as what's called an NPC. Like I'm going way down no, the no, rabbit no, hole which, now. Which, uh, yeah, but like the idea is that once you take the red pill, you see the ways that society is trying to keep straight cis white men like yourself down. So you okay, know? so I misinterpreted the, the the men in this equation are the ones that have taken the yeah. red pill. Mm-hmm. The men who see the world for what it quote unquote. Means. I see, and certainly there are women and people of color and LGBT people who have taken the red pill and also feel like yes, men are at a disadvantage. And I here's the thing: is they're not always wrong. Like men, for instance, are often disadvantaged in um, custody hearings. Men, like they can point to all sorts of things. Like men are struggling mm-hmm. with mental illness. Men are struggling with this suicide epidemic. Like they're not wrong. The problems are just not where they think they are. You know, like the root causes are not uh. don't lie in like feminism. The root causes lie in like capitalism, patriarchy, like all of yeah. these things that make it. Like if you are a man who struggles with a mental illness, that make it. Uh, there's a stigma against you going to get help for that. Stereotypical you know? gender roles. Yeah. Yes, very much so. I mean, the, the, the two things you brought up um, are perfect examples of that. Mm-hmm. That men are supposed to feel a certain way or do a certain thing yeah. in our in our patriarchal society. But th- there does seem to, and, and forgive me, because the article that I read was was speaking more from the um, from the female perspective. This idea okay. that there are there are women that. There are like pro red pill women, I right. guess. Yeah. Is There's that the, the, best the, way of the YouTuber it? Lacey Green. I don't know if she still identifies as having red pilled. Identifies as having red pilled. What a world we live in. But she was, uh, like a really pro, um, really pro LGBT, all that stuff, uh, pro fem- feminist, uh, sex advice person on okay. YouTube. And she started dating kind of a right winger, uh, and then slowly like, Trended toward red 
pill. And then she like did a video called how I've been red pilled and everybody got mad at her. I don't know what happened after that. Like she's kind of been, she went into um, hiding. Yeah. She's kind of under the radar now. She still does stuff. And like, it sounds like she's kind of drifted away from that, but it's still like, and I hate to be like, Oh, she only did it because she was dating this guy because that doesn't give her any agency yeah. in her own decisions. But also, like that was the timeline, and so that's what people read into it. So, but yeah, there are women who have red pilled. There are people of color who have red pilled. There are. Whatever. I guess I'm just sort of what, what I find kind of shocking about all of this is, and I guess it taps into what you were saying about how this film is so kind of brilliantly about that I de- like breaking the boundaries of identity and what it means to be you and, and all of that, mm-hmm. that it creates a text that can be so misinterpreted. Right. It, it is this curse and blessing of how, you know, well made this movie is. And yet at the same time I watch it and think to myself, you got to really want it. Like this red pill stuff is so sweaty to me. Like you've got, you have to just really the gymnastics and the way you have to bend yourself into a pretzel in order to get this thing to sort of fit your thing. I, I don't, don't think it is at all. I agree. Really? I, don't think I agree with all. you, Emily. I, yeah. yeah, I think it's like, I think it's like a movie you guys are going to talk about fight club, like yeah. where there is this idea. Like if you watch that movie to me, it's very hard to watch that movie and not realize it's criticizing these guys' mindset. Well, yes, it's 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 clearly a but satire, but yeah. At the same time, I watch a lot of movies. <laughs> I'm steeped in that kind of world. And like okay, fair enough. The thing about The Matrix, the thing about American Beauty, the thing about um Fight Club, they're all criticizing the emptiness of late twentieth century capitalism, the emptiness of the white centric patriarchal society that we lived in. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to like if if you don't look beyond the surface level, that's kind of hard to see. Like like, I want to yeah. take on those three movies because I think they do. Because I, I think they they illustrate a point I want to make really well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's a danger to making a movie specifically like Fight Club. I think, I think, um, Phil, I, I, I think I agree with you, and I think I agree with you, Emily. Basically, the idea, like somewhere in the middle, basically, the idea that you have to want to misinterpret Matrix, but it's not so much the mental gymnastics, I think it okay. is. It's, it's willfully ignoring a lot of what's the happening. The signs of it. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And just basically saying the, the, the central idea of this, which is our reality is not real. 
And there is a reality if you are actually just looking beyond what, what we see in front of us. Mm-hmm. And that could be applied to anyone's mindset or mm-hmm. anyone's sense of victimhood, which I think is really what's going on with you know these men right, men's right activists mm-hmm. who feel like they're being held down by some kind of system. Um, Fight Club, I think, is a brilliant film. And I think I you know agree with you 100% that it's very obviously a criticism of capitalism – commercialism and you know male toxicity um but there is a little danger in making a movie like that now i'm not saying it shouldn't be made mm-hmm. but i just saying we should go into those with our eyes open and then i would say american beauty tips over yeah and, yeah and i think american beauty may want to present itself as it's a criticism of you know the white male patriarchy sure uh, we did this movie for the first. It's a celebration of it. I think the one movie this year that that does plays with these themes and doesn't tip over into a world where you can misread them is being John Malkovich, which is a movie about all of this stuff about a white guy who thinks he needs to have everything and ultimately like he is destroyed because of that. Mm-hmm. Spoilers for being John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but mm-hmm. like that's the one movie that like does all this stuff. It's my favorite movie of this year. Yeah, um, it's another weird trans allegory. In yeah, another totally. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I, this actually in a lot of ways taps into, um, so, um, there's this book that just came out recently called best movie year ever that, uh, Brian, uh, Raftery wrote, and is actually he's going to be on our podcast hopefully in the next uh, couple weeks. Um, and he has a whole chapter on talking the about the out of towners. Yes, his favorite movie. His favorite movie in ninety nine. Weirdly, um, and, and it talks a little bit about um, th- so the Wachowskis had uh, a manager, I mm-hmm. believe, Mattis, uh, who became circulating their script in ninety five, right around the time of the internet. And I think that the internet is really sort of, I mean, for obvious, is. The, really the nucleus of all of this. It's where everyone sort of gets to either be the person they really want to be right. or a person that uh, they think they want to be or maybe it's just a way of just you know being uh, a version of yourself, That whatever it is. The internet sort of is this floodgate and changes everything. And it feels like that sort of bendable reality, if you will, is what really makes – not just this movie possible from a, from a logistical perspective in terms of its plot, but also for it to tap into the stuff that we're talking about here as well. Yeah, I was just, I was actually going to sort of draw upon that point, which is, and I'm going to sidle alongside some trans stuff here, um, mm-hmm. which is if you are especially a white guy in America, and especially if you live in a small town, if you live in a rural area, if you live in an economically disadvantaged area, your social structures are gone. Like. Right. If you so I live I came of age in an area where like there when I was a kid there were like bowling leagues there was the Kiwanis Club there were the Lions Club there were these structures that men found meaning in and like this is one of the wild things about coming out as trans is like those structures still exist for women mm-hmm. for a man you kind of have to invent them you kind of have to be like this is my friend I'm going to go out with him every month or so we're going to have drinks like you kind of have to create these and that's easy to easier to do in a city like I had a reasonably good social life with other men when I thought I was a man in Los Angeles but like societally speaking uh, those structures have exist continued to exist for women in a way they haven't for men mm-hmm. especially in these smaller areas and like the internet has stepped into that void 
and we look like I for a long time spent writing an article that never got published at the AV Club about World of Warcraft as like a new version of a bowling league. And like <laughs> people who uh were in there were in guilds and like it was a great way for them to have that sort of camaraderie. And like that's what's great about the internet. What's bad about the internet is that I can watch one video on YouTube that has like like the Lacey Green video we're talking about, which I don't think is a bad video. I think she's honestly trying to grapple with some of this stuff, but you keep following that chain and you end up falling further and further down this rabbit hole. And that's, that's very similar to taking the red pill in the matrix. So like, mm. I think the internet is the reason for a lot of this, not just in terms of like exploring different identities and exploring different levels of reality, but in terms of like, I found a community here and it helps me define myself and I define myself by hating women. I mean, it, it and that's what the matrix is about. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I mean, I, 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 I get it. I obviously don't agree with it, but I get how you can get there. No, it's, it's, it's. I, I do. Well, no, it's. No offense. Not a matter of agreeing with it. It's a fact. No, I, know. I know. It's like it's what 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 I was just saying. It's a it's a fact. It's as as bigotry has become less and less society societally acceptable, mm-hmm. and. Progressive issues have become more and more societally acceptable, right? The things that in the beginning of the internet, specifically um, kids who were disadvantaged, underprivileged, um, outcasts in their community were able to find these communities on the internet and it was positive. Mm -hmm. Today, I think these kind of bigots, you know, specifically like men's right activists, white supremacists, Nazis, um, gun enthusiasts, terrorists – People like that find their communities online and the internet has metastasized in something that's really, truly scary. Um, and then, you know, the matrix to me is like 20 years down the road or 50 years down the road mm-hmm. um, where none of that really even matters anymore. But yeah, I think that, I think that our, our wokeness in real life has given way. And I'm not saying this is, a, this is a, like a bad outcome globally. But our general wokeness in real life has given birth to this really, really scary, seedy, te- truly terrifying underbelly that we can actually see because it's right there on 4chan. You know. Well, let me go. Let me go one step deeper than that, which is uh, the, these movies are very critical of capitalism. Capitalism in 2019 America likes to appear woke. Like brands, for sure. We're in recording this at the start of Pride Month. It's coming out in Pride Month, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, like brands are, you know, putting their rainbow stuff up. Like, there's a trans rights Budweiser can you can buy in the UK. Like, I mean, Budweiser, great, yay. But like, yeah, Gillette just had an ad with a trans man. Uh, it yeah, a really, it was a really nice ad. And like, yeah. this is the thing because of the way the U.S. political system is set up, these people don't have a lot of cultural power because. The corporations have, I think, quite rightly seen which way the world is trending, but they have a lot of political power because of the Electoral College, because of all of these different things that like allow them with certain quirks of fate to get Donald Trump in the White House. And like that's sort of the tension here is like there is this feeling of like, um, you know, everywhere I look, people are trying to get me to accept something yeah. I don't, you know, necessarily agree with. And like I'm a vaguely visible trans woman now. And like, I have to like, I get emails from people where I have to be like, no, that's not how it is, you know? And it's like, there has been that process of, there are a lot of people who feel like they were left behind in one way or another, and they're taking aim at the wrong target. 
Who's the right target? I mean, I think the right target is that we live in a world that is, uh, you know, that is set up to benefit an increasingly small number of people who have a lot of money already and want more money. I think, I mean, I don't want to like advocate for outright like communism or something on your podcast, but like (laughs) deregulated capitalism is a scourge, you know, and it's, it's ruined and torn apart the meaning that a lot of people have in their lives. And then you look at like, the decay of religious institutions, of community organizations, of things that gave people social meaning. And you look at, you know, you, you look at people, uh, who continue to have that, um, women foremost, but you know, things like pride parades, like Black History Month, whatever, where we're celebrating certain communities. And I think it feels, if you are, have a warped view of the universe for whatever reason, I think it feels like, they're the enemy instead of, you know, the five people who control however much of the world's wealth it is. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get into my issues with the uh, – I'm sorry? You want to get my issues with with the writer's strike? With the writer's thing? I th- the writer's strike? No. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll get in trouble. I, but I think there are parallels. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I, I think – I will say as someone who – I guess I am a WGA member now. But I will say as someone who is um, vaguely on the edges of this, I think you're right. I think there are parallels. I think that there are – I do think that the problem is the whole system is very hard to topple. So you look at the things you can directly mm-hmm. look at and try and topple those. Uh, and maybe you make small changes around the edges, but the system warps itself and is poisonous and like – there needs to be some sort of systemic change or we're going to cease to exist as a species. And like, oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, that's what the matrix is. The about. matrix feels. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I hear everything you're saying. I don't know that I necessarily totally agree with all of it, but I hear, I mean, I, you don't agree that the matrix is about the WGA ATA standoff. <laughs> Cause it is. <laughs> it, it prophesied it. <laughs> Um, so I want to sort of, you know, you obviously brought up. Well, the- I think, I mean, I actually want to kind of pull this back because I, what is the matrix ultimately about? Um, it's about seeding control, right? Mm-hmm. Not, it's not everything it's about, but it's about seeding control. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Have, have you, either of you listened to, to live or die in LA, the podcast? No, no. That's fucking awesome. Um, do you know about it? No. Mm-mm. All right. There's not much to it, but you should listen to it. It's basically, okay. a, it's a true crime podcast. It's tremendous. Okay. Um, it's like something that's happening right now. But basically, he, it's Neil Strauss who wrote the game. So like, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I'm telling you, he's great. Um, he, uh, he, he runs through this, the site called, do you know what takeout.google.com is? No. Mm-hmm. You do I've know. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. If you go to takeout.google.com, you could find out all the information about you that Google is tracking. Okay. So you could find out all of your emails, all of your YouTube history. All you know, uh, every app you used, your search history, it goes on and on and on, and kind of most alarmingly, your location history. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you've been, Google is aware of this. Okay, we have ceded so much control over our lives to Google, Apple, Facebook, Snapchat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I only bring those four up because those are the four he brought up. Not that anyone uses Snapchat, but um, to those four, that it's not that big of a leap. To think that if and when AI becomes sentient, oh, yeah. with all of this information, they all this control we've given over to them willingly, they will be able to use it against us very easily. Oh yeah. So we're not even that far from the reality of the matrix. If now I'm getting into AI like fucking like AI truth or shit, but like 
we're not that far from this whole thing. Like if AI proves to be malevolent, we're in deep fucking trouble. It doesn't even have to be malevolent. Like the famous, um, the famous thought experiment is there's an AI that makes paper clips, and like your, you say all you need to do is make as many paper right. clips as possible, and then it's like, well, if I disassemble these molecules, I can make more paper clips, and it eventually fills the entire universe with paper clips. Right. And that's not like that motivation isn't malevolent. It's just like really foreign to us. Right. It's made me feel a little bit better about. I'm getting it's real fucking horrible shit. Made me feel a little bit better about life on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I, I actually truly believe that there are levels of, um, knowledge and understanding about the world and universe that we will never come close to understanding. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, our next step is not as scary to me as it previously was, but yes, I'm very concerned about the matrix actually becoming kind of real in one form or another. I think it's inevitable. And I think a lot of us are going to move into it willingly. Like totally. You ask me if I could live in a space where I would appear to be a cis woman. I'd think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think cis woman version of me is terrible. She's probably like votes Republican. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want that. So like, I'm glad Come that I'm, I'm glad that I am who I am, but also yeah. like if I could like live in a computer program and I don't know, look like Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'd do it. You'd pull Joey pants. Yeah. That's the most honest moment of that movie. Cypher. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, how the, the Wachowskis themselves just said they would have taken the blue pill. Um, taking the blue pill is different than doing what Joe No, Pants I know, but does. I'm just, I'm just saying. I would not, I don't know if I would have The ignorance is bliss idea. I think there is something, there is something to that. Mm-hmm. Um, with that in mind, um, Kanye West. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting that has called The Matrix the Bible of the post-information age and said uh, that when hundreds of guys come at Neo, those are opinions. That's perception. That's tradition. If you have a focus wide and master sense, if you focus wide and master sense is like Lawrence Fishburne and you have a squad behind you, you literally put the world in slow motion. Also, he claims to be writing a uh, philosophy book called Break the Simulation. Uh, he has cut the Kardashians to wear tiny sunglasses and sweatshirts and bomber jackets from Yeezy season one look a lot like, uh, things from the Nebuchadnezzar. So he's definitely, uh, these, jacked into the matrix. These rich tech utopian guys yeah. and Kanye West was kind of in that. Like they I mean, all are like, oh, we're living in a simulation because they hate to acknowledge the role they play. Yeah. Oh yeah. They Elon Musk is huge. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's put. Because if they live in a simulation, then they it's it's kind of a form of fundamentalist Christianity. It sort of is. Live in a simulation, you can give yourself like an excuse to be like, "Oh, I don't have any control over my actions. I have to keep exploiting." Calvinism, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. That's really interesting. (laughs) That all being said, yeah. Prove him wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) think about it: is if we live in a simulation, it has no real effect on our philosophical. Totally judgments to each other. You know, like we still have an obligation to be good to each other, even if we live in a fake world. But there's a little bit of a get it a jail free card of it though. Sure. No, there's not because we'll never know. So well, I mean, in the sense that like if if you're a person who believes everything is a simulation, it gives you the ability to be able to do things that you wouldn't necessarily do. I don't agree with that. I think Elon Musk agrees with that. Elon Musk still goes to jail if he does something bad. So Does he? (laughs) That's that's the (laughs) question. That's a fair point. But yeah, actually, that's a fair point. <laughs> probably, like, probably like if he murdered a whole bunch – if he was a serial killer, probably he'd go to jail. But that's like as far as I'm willing yeah. to go. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, a lot of this also taps into um, the Wachowskis made everyone read um, uh, Samuk. How do you say it? Simulacrum, I believe. Yes, and simulation. All the required reading of all the sort of these various texts of all of that, Um, which – and Keanu also uh, read Out of Control and Evolutionary Psychology and all of these philosophical ideas which are coursing through this film, which again is another reason why I get kind of annoyed with Ebert's review Mm -hmm. because he's not – He's either not open to it or he's dismissive of it or he thinks it's just a fucking action movie when there's so much intelligence and thought and and brain power put into this movie to make sure that it's not just a fucking action movie. I don't know. I just But it is kind of just an action movie too. He's it, not it, wrong. It, well, it, it's both, it, I isn't guess. Isn't that kind of well Yeah, fair. Isn't that Aronofsky's point right that it works on whatever level? Yeah. But Josh well, is like whatever or, you bring to but, it. Yeah. yeah, but um yeah, Josh's point. I think that engaging with the ideas in this, and we're doing it right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the term suds, um, mm. subjective units of distress. Mm. My no. suds are high. <laughs> Basically, like my high? my suds are rising. Yeah. Uh, as I have this conversation, this conversation because engaging with these ideas mm-hmm. is distressful for me, mm-hmm. or distressing. Excuse me, distressing for me. Um. And I think that you, I think that a lot of people don't even want to have these conversations that we're having right now. I, 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 I mean, I do. I love having them. Sure. But as a, as a way of processing what right. I think this world is coming to. So I'm terrified of climate change, mm-hmm. and I'm you know terrified of you know the disenfranchisement of people and um, people being made people essentially losing their personhood. Like I'm, I'm terrified of these terrestrial things. That are happening to people, sure. but I also am very scared of what's happening fifty years from now, you know, or or where we're going with with technology in this in this world. Yeah, so. I think that's why Cloud Atlas is my favorite Wachowski movie, uh, and I think that's why I love that movie so much. Is it does like go? It goes to a really grim place, but mm-hmm. then there is this element of like, oh, and everything turns out okay, and like I love, I love its ideas of eternal recurrence and all of that. Um, that Do you like the book more than the movie? Probably. I think they're very different and I love them both. But yeah, I, I – yeah, I don't know. I think um, – I mean I think that it, it – to fo- just to sort of – on the cloud outlets of it all, there is a part of me that feels like um, – I mean that's them taking perhaps their biggest swing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just it, it. it's about – It's the so one movie they had to get like independent yeah. funding for. And, yeah. and, and also, I mean – sort of co-directed with Tom Tickver and all of that. But mm-hmm. it's, it is the enormity of what they're trying to say in that film. It, it's, you know, yeah, it's, that, like, that's, it's like Terrence Malick in a way, just yeah. this like long view thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, I love, I mean, I love that. What was the Terrence Malick movie? Tree of Life? Yes. Yeah. The idea of like, this is the only one we got. This is yeah. heaven. This is hell. Um, Here's a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> Here's everything, here's everything we've ever given you. I got to tell you one thing real yeah. fast about dinosaurs. <laughs> My daughter. That's the. You're not going to believe this. Yeah. She's a dinosaur truther. She doesn't believe, seven years old, doesn't believe dinosaurs existed on Earth. I took her to the museum to show her dinosaur bones. She's like, why couldn't they have just put them here? Why didn't they just, how do you know they didn't just make them? And then we went to the Labrador Tar Pits to look at like old animal things. Sure. And they had like this uh, woolly mammoth tooth. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, Layla, you're touching a woolly mammoth tooth. Like, 
it, it's obviously real. And the person holding it goes, well, actually, this is a replica. <laughs> and she looks at me and she's like, fucking told you. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, what now, pops? And, she, I, and like, there's nothing I can say. Yeah, you can't, you can't fight that. Well, I mean, I, I mean, that guy threw you under the bus. I can't prove that dinosaurs really existed <laughs> any more than I tried. I'm like, what about the oil in your car, you little dummy? <laughs> That's what the Matrix is about. There you yeah. go. Well, That's what the Matrix is about. <laughs> Actually, my best friend growing up, he, he lives out here. He's a paleontologist. I'll hook you up. Oh, that'd oh, be that, nice. Yeah, that'd can, be amazing. explain it. Yeah. yeah. He'll come on the show to talk about the out-of-towners, but in the process. <laughs> I will, I wonder Do we have a dinosaur movie? I don't think we have a dinosaur movie. How could we not? I'll look. I'll look. So um, let's talk a little casting. Do we have a dinosaur movie? Yeah. It's a dinosaur movie every year. Yeah. Um, the the big one that we all know is the Will Smith uh, of it all. Uh, was approached to play it, turned it down to do Wild Wild West. Obviously, the better decision. Uh, no more Mr. Knife no Guy. No more Mr. Knife Guy. I wouldn't have had that without, without him. Uh, I don't know what this movie looks like with Will Smith. I don't I, – Well, I, he I don't. makes this look good. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> I, I just I, – I like Will Smith a lot. Um, but – there is something about Keanu's sort of Zen-like qualities that he has mm-hmm. that just makes it all really come to life. I also have to say too, and there was an interesting piece that I read about how this movie changed the perception of the action hero. Mm-hmm. You know, Keanu's a pretty slight guy. I mean, he's tall, but he's not. He's not. He's not a muscle build. You know, muscly action hero. And he kind of opened the door for that to be a lane that people could go down. Mm-hmm. Which I think is also interesting. He's also he's coded white. He yes. himself is not white. He's yes, yes, mixed he's, race. He's mixed race, yeah. and like which which works for the movie. It takes a long time for Hollywood to kind of glom onto that, but yeah. he and Will Smith kind of like start yeah. trending the industry in that direction, which is kind of goes back to the red pill thing we were talking about. But like, yeah, yeah, like, and I think that that is another way that this changes. It's also. So apparently, uh, Lana and Lily's first choice for Neo was Johnny Depp. Um, okay, yeah, so it makes sense. which makes sense. The Johnny Depp Keanu thing, I sort of get it. You know what I mean? I think that it was it's it's clear that they wanted someone slightly androgynous, I guess, to a certain degree. That yeah. that, that it was clear that they that it wasn't they didn't want an alpha male as this action hero, which is why you see them sort of push back. I mean, I guess Brad Pitt was brought up, Val Kilmer was brought up. Um, you know, these are all you know, Ewan McGregor, David Duchovny, Leonardo DiCaprio. I, mean, I, I, I think that I really with with the possible exception to Will Smith, yeah, I think this movie would have worked with any of those guys. Yeah, they're perhaps prettier. Yes, than, yes, yeah. yeah. Then they are hard. You know, um, one of the interesting Gillian uh, Anderson turned down the role of Trinity. Apparently, do it with Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny. Great, <laughs> <laughs> great. Before the, before the X Files yeah. happened, Mitch, they were both approached. That's Mitch like Pelleggi can be <laughs> Morpheus. Yeah, that's like out of a really bad movie. They like went to see David Duchovny to like for the movie. They're like, wait, wait a sec, what about her for Trinity? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, Gary Oldman and Sam Jackson were both approached for Morpheus. Sure. Oh man, which I mean, again, these are all like. Yeah. This would have worked. These would have worked. And, and again, testament to how great this movie is that you really could have kind of put a lot of these people into these roles and it would have worked. I've never thought of Sam Jackson as the poor man's Lawrence Fishburne. But that's what he in this situation. It that's been. what he's to me in life. Yeah. I love Sam Jackson. I've been yeah. like, I've been, I, no, yeah, I've yeah. been standing here saying, <laughs> he should, like, how does this guy not win an Oscar? And he has to win an Oscar before he dies. 
But um, I don't know if he's ever done what Lawrence Fishburne did in this movie. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne was born to play Morpheus. Oh, my God. And it's just – I mean, I don't know. I also have to say too like he's – like some of these people that – I mean Gary Oldman is, is an example of like I don't – I want someone that, that he – could fight someone, you know, it does. I, people have talked about how Sean Connery apparently was in the mix for Morpheus, whether or not that's true or not feels like some sort of an urban legend in its own way. But like, I don't know. These people all just feel like it had to be Lawrence Fishburne. I don't know. I mean, for, for, for what that's worth. Um, the, the actress Belinda McClory, who plays, uh, the role of switch, mm-hmm. The character was originally pl- uh, planned to be played by androgynous actors. In the real world, it would be played by a male actor. And in in the in Zion, it would be played by a female. Um, huh. I wonder what that's all about. But then, yeah. But then Warner <laughs> Brothers was like, I don't know about that. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, Warner Brothers was like, well, I don't think people will understand that. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure, Confusion yeah. was where that came from. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is it is one of those sort of – it's it's one of those films where – People have talked about you know, recently. Even the Sandra Bullock thing came up, where they were like, "Fuck it, we'll turn Neo, we'll we'll, we'll flip it, and we'll make it." And mm-hmm. she turned that down. She turned down the role of Trinity as well. Um, I guess Keanu brought her up because of speed and what have you. I think she could have been an interesting Trinity. Um, you know, I think I, I I don't. Carrie Ann Moss is also great, made for this yeah, role too. So it's just like yeah. they, they're just perfect. Every every member of the yeah. ship, every member right. of the of this cast it's just perfect it's really perfect and i would actually say that one of the things that um disappointed me about the sequels uh was the unfortunate passing of the actress who played the oracle Mm -hmm. because that's one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie um in the first great and reloaded too yes yeah Uh, but then they i mean the other person's great in revolutions but but it's it's so different it's so different they could have i mean they they could have played that a little more I know that it's kind of a gross thing to say you could play up a real a person's real life death a little more, but given the nature of the world, mm-hmm. they kind of got like the closest approximation to this person. Yeah, they could have done something very different. They yeah. could have gone crazy with it. Yeah, I um, agree with that. Especially if like spe- the, the specific in world reason was she was trying to trying to evade yeah. capture. Which you know it's 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 sort of like. Um, I remember when uh, at the end of and this is sort of a strange illusion, but I'll do it anyway. Um, at the end of Fantastic Beasts, when Johnny Depp shows up because he right. was pretending to be Colin, Colin Farrell, Farrell yeah. the whole time. And then when all this stuff went down between you know the first and the second movie, I was like, he's a shapeshifter, guys. Doesn't need to be Johnny Depp anymore. Yeah. If you know, just make it somebody else. But to that point, like there was this opportunity here for it to be a drastically dissimilar yeah. actor, and they didn't choose to do it. Um uh I think you do you do kind of like this plays into the stereotype of the the magical Negro, but you kind of do need it to be an older black lady once you've committed to that. You know that that might be true. I you could maybe go younger black lady, but like I think you kind of you kind of need to do that both in terms of like the Wachowski's mission of diverse casting. But there's other there's other minorities that sure sure sure, and like others that wouldn't play into the stereotype as much. But at the same time, you know you you run into that when someone leaves a role. Of yeah. who's a person of color and like that is representation of a very specific sort that you don't right. get elsewhere. You know? Yeah, no, that, that's that's interesting. I no, I I I thought about that and I hear that, but that feels tokenism. That feels like tokenism. I think to so. Me. I agree. I agree. I think 
as a white lady, um, it's hard for me to speak about like what something like that means to someone who mm-hmm. doesn't see themselves on screen a lot. And if they're suddenly replaced with like Reba McIntyre or something, you know, <laughs> that would that would have been a poor choice. That would have been, that, that been bad. Um, <laughs> and I agree with that. But I, I I do wonder which is more cynical. You know, yeah, I think it's all cynical at a certain point. Like, yeah. and, and that's the thing is when a role like this has to be recast. There is a cynicism to no matter what you do, you know? Sure. Even if you're like, I'm just going to pick the best actor for this role. Like it's an unfortunate circumstance that leads to like rushed decision-making. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had two deaths. They had uh, Aaliyah also passing away during uh, Unreloaded. She was playing. Um, was she the Jada Pinkett Smith part? No, she was the wife of. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. What, what's his face? Whose name? I can't remember. Walt's dad from Lost. Uh, yeah. Harold. Harold. Paranormal, Paranormal. Yeah, Paranormal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Were they talking about Jada Pinkett for Trinity? Trinity. She auditioned, and Could've she said it. she didn't have any chemistry, or didn't have as much chemistry with Keanu. Yeah, she could have done it. She could have done. I it. think she could have been a good Trinity. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's all—it's all, it's all just really. To, I would have liked to have seen that. I like—I like her in those kind of roles. She was. So. I mean, I wish that they did more with her as Niobe. She didn't really get to do a ton in mm-hmm. the next two. She's like in the video game a lot, I guess. Yeah, she is. Like, I had that game, Enter the Matrix. I remember that. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. And and yeah, she just doesn't – she's in – isn't there some connection to her in, in the um, Animatrix? I Maybe I'm crazy. Think, yeah. I think that role might be in there too. I think so. I haven't seen the Animatrix in a very long time. I should watch them. Yeah, I remember I, I watched them it. once when they came out. Yeah. And just, yeah. yeah. I should watch them again. But they were cool. They were cool. I mean, again, like that's – such a cool thing that they did that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And again, way ahead of the way ahead of the curve on that. I mean, I think that you could maybe get away with that today, maybe digital shorts or something along those lines, depending on what your what the universe is. We're essentially doing it with a lot of these TV shows that are sort of ancillary to movies, but still, it's it's fascinating. Um, I, I think it's I, there's a, I do love this. It's such a little thing, but um, the Oracle giving Neo a literal and a figurative cookie, mm-hmm. I think, is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love nerdy shit like yeah. that. I just think it's kind of great. It's like David Sims and the whole like login screen. Seraph is a login screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just love it. When I was watching Reloaded, yeah. I no, I was watching Revolutions. Like I, I, I DM'd him and was like. You got to tell me who these tr- these people that live in like the subway station who they are, and he like just this just like this screen <laughs> diatribe, yeah, just like it just oh my God. flooded down, and like he screenshotted part of it and put it on Twitter as like always oh, here to talk about the Matrix. <laughs> what did he say? God, I, I'm sure I can find it. Let that's me, uh, that's let really me, funny. Let me dig it up here. Um, um, so I want to talk just a little bit about the photography. I think it is a travesty that this film was not nominated for best cinematography. I think it's let's see what insane. Was. Uh, Robert Richardson for Snow Falling on Cedars. Um, it was he's doing this from memory. Yeah, because I, I, I looked it up earlier. You got today. all one of them. So I far. got one. Conrad Hall for American. Yeah, he won. Yeah. Um, there was also uh, Roger Platt for End of the Affair, which is the one that I probably would have lifted. Um, and the other two, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, the other two. Oh, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Emmanuel Lebesky. Lebesky. <laughs> and the insider. Dante also Spinotti. I mean, those I, I personally, I mean, I haven't seen Snow Falling on Cedars in a very long time. I remember being really pretty. We'll be doing it very soon. We will be doing it very soon. Um 
and and I think that uh, End of the Affair is a very nice looking movie, but Bill Pope changed cinematography forever with this film, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's crazy that this film wasn't acknowledged for it. It's also this movie went four for four with the Oscars it was yeah. nominated for. Wow! So this movie I mean, in this era, this would have been a Best Picture nominee. Yes, it oh, would have sure. been nominated sure. for seven or eight. Probably wouldn't have gotten director. Probably couldn't have won Best Picture, but definitely would have been. A contender, yeah. a serious contender. Uh, so I asked this. This is I asked David if all these characters are computer programs. Who's the damn train man supposed to be? <laughs> he says. He says in all caps. I can answer all questions. Train man is basically a sophisticated Dropbox plus the dark web moves things around for you without anyone noticing. Uh, and I said, "Oh my god, this is amazing! Thank you." And he says, "Ask me more questions." <laughs> and then there's like several screens That's of us talking That's about the Matrix great. sequels. Yeah. That's really funny. Um, watch wow. Reloaded tonight. Yeah, you should. It's. I mean, uh, well, so, no, no, I will. Okay. I, I, I really will. It's. I, I, this is so embarrassing, but like, it didn't even occur to me to watch it after I like after after oh, I really? I texted you after wake up or after yeah. you know the end of the Matrix and had that same feeling that I've had every time I watch this movie, which yeah. is like coolest it's over movie now. ever made. But like, there's nothing else here. This is a standalone movie. Oh, really? I have memory wiped those oh, movies. I think you would really like them. They're, they are, they might as well be Jaws 2 and Jaws 3D to me. Here's un, what, here's what happened to the Reloaded tying into our earlier discussion about Ain't It Cool and White Guys and all that. Reloaded is a movie about telling white guys they're not the chosen one. And people got really mad about that. And Revolutions is an attempt to synthesize, yes, you can be the chosen one. There is no chosen one. And tell a story about how like communities can be the chosen one in essence. And like finding a way to synthesize whatever – it's disappointing revolutions, but I, I really love everything Reloaded does philosophically, and like your your brain's going to blow up. I would also I will say watch it. I, I, do, I, I report back. I, I I I do think you will like them. I think it's also an opportunity. One of the few it feels like to me where they did sort of two things. They learned mm-hmm. from the quote unquote mistakes that they might have made in the first one, or at least the things that they that set people some some people off or choices that were made. And they wanted to balance the scales again, right? So they went in a, in a direction that they felt, to what you were saying, could help that. But then in the process, they alienated people in a completely different way by yeah. doing sequels that was not what people had wanted from these sequels. And I'll admit the first hour of that movie's a little slow. Um, I think the action Rave. sequences – I think the action sequences have really held up. Even the Burly Brawl, which the effects there are a little shaky, but just like the choreography mm-hmm. of it's gorgeous – I think the freeway chase is it's one unreal. of the great yeah. action sequences of all time. I'm looking forward I to watching that. Agree with that. That, that. In my head, I'm thinking, well, at least I get that. Yeah. You also if get it sucks, at least I get that. The the foyer fight, mm-hmm. which is which one is of the great. best fights yeah. as well. It's it's a it's. I think it's that great. the architect scene, for as much as people hate it, I think it's audacious. I love everything that happens in that scene. I love the idea that like. It's a story about how, um, again, capitalism just sets up systems that are doomed to propagate themselves. That revolution against capitalism is ultimately exploited by capitalism and like subverted and turned into a part of capitalism. And we have pride flags on Budweiser cans. And like, that's the story of that movie. The Matrix Reloaded, uh, coming to podcasts like it's 2003. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Revolutions is also 2003. Yes, isn't it, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I will also say that the cliffhanger is disappointing. Um, I remember sitting in the theater and being like, okay. Well, the cliffhanger was with in Zion. 
Yeah. When he kind of – It's when we realize that – Oh, has yeah. In- has infiltrated the real world and then they never really do anything with they it. They don't do anything with it. Sucks, no. yeah. But the bigger – kill him. It, it, the it thing, also makes no sense. The thing that blew my mind that, that, that really got me was that architect scene where he's like, oh, yeah, you're not actually – there's been six of you. We use you to reset the system. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. That's what got me really – actually, I remember leaving Reloaded and being very excited mm-hmm. because of the architect scene mm-hmm. and thinking – what they could do in Revela- Revolutions because of this is endless. Mm-hmm. And then I remember being wildly disappointed by Revolutions and, and you know, retroactively hating Reloaded too <laughs> because of what they because what they set up and never paid off. That's the well, last forty five minutes of Revolutions is great, and everything leading up to it is really hit and miss. I think I think it's their weakest movie, but also there's so much really good stuff in it. I think where it ends is. Very poetic and interesting. I'm very excited to watch. I just, all I remember is like the sunset. But uh, I'm, should, I'm, should, I'm definitely going to watch I'm, I'm going to be very – I'm very curious to hear what you think they about were this. So, the thing is like it was – I'd built them up so much. The Matrix was so important to mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah. And I did this with Fight Club 2 in the theater. I didn't like Fight Club when I saw it in the theater because 7 was – and the game were so important to me. Sure. That it was a bar that that movie could never cross. Also happened with Crouching Tiger by the way. We're like Ang Lee stuff up to that moment were so was so important to me that it was a bar I could never cross. But I subsequently love Fight Club and Crouchy Tiger. Are you <laughs> like a are you like a big Ride with the Devil super fan? Do you have like a t shirt, Ride with the Devil? It's I've really, never it, seen Ride it, with the, the Devil. Ice, it's really the Ice Storm. Oh, Ice Storm's great. Uh, which I just I think is like the so greatest much. fucking movie. And I love uh, it so much. yeah. I wish it was ninety nine. We'll do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the of the photography, which I think is interesting, obviously, but um, the bullet time stuff. Uh, there is a um, a moment. The bullet time moment is described in the script as such. It says Jones's gun booms as we enter the liquid space of bullet time. The air sizzles with wads of lead like angry flies as Neo twists, bends, ducks just beneath them. Neo bent impossibly back, one hand on the ground as a spiraling gray ball shears open his shoulder. That single shot took over two years to complete and took uh, $750,000 in computer costs to do. But it's Bargain. <laughs> it is, I mean, it is. But it it's just... I remember watching it and just thinking like this is unbelievable. Like it, it and and you know they 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 do it a couple times because you know wasn't but, that moment in some of the marketing because yes. I feel like I'd seen it before I went. Yes, to the it was in the trailer. Yeah, okay, yeah. That was the only bullet time sequence they showed in the trailer, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm pretty sure it was the the cherry at the end of the trailer, if I'm okay. not mistaken. What is the other thing called? The the thing where they go 180. I. Isn't that what we're talking, when we're talking about I the same thing? I mean, it's it's a different technique. I don't remember the bullet name. time. Bullet time is the ripples of the bullets yes. and doing the the turn. I don't think so. Okay, those are two distinctly different things to me. Okay, the thing, the one eighty thing. Th- there are two pioneering things that they did mm-hmm. in this movie. It was the bullet time, and it was that one eighty thing that they started yes. doing every fucking commercial. Um, and then like literally the NFL took it, then like put it on you know right. the Super Bowl. Um, and I love that. I love that so much because I love how analog it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, it, like it speaks to my heart <laughs> how you could have done that same exact thing in 1940 if you wanted to. You, you know? think so? The 180 thing? Yeah. yeah. Set up, set up a hundred cameras, cameras and, you're only, yeah. and you're not even putting video cameras. Yeah. No, I love it. You yeah. could have done that at any point in like basically f- film history. Yeah. So I love like that, like the, the post-it kind of thing of it. You know, anyone could have figured this out. They just figured it out. 
But that doesn't have a name? I don't know what it is. I'm Googling matrix rotation, and it turns out it's a thing you can do with a mathematical matrix, which I never would have known. So it's impossible to find because people are talking about math, which is dumb. Why are you doing that? Why would anybody (laughs) want to do that? It's just boring. Um, So I I think that it's – I don't, I don't, I don't actually can't seem to find what it, do you have, uh, have you been able to find it, Kenny? What's that? What's it the, called? The, the thing? I'm looking for it. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's I mean, it'd be hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about math now. Um, so one of the other things that I think is interesting is that in the first 45 minutes of the film, Neo has 80 lines. Hmm. Um, 44 of those lines are questions. <laughs> Uh, just over half of his total dialogue averaging roughly one question per minute. I mean, he's obviously, you know, a bit of an exposition. He's our audience. Mm-hmm. He's our way in. So I get that. But it's also a surprisingly silent character for a good chunk of that movie. It feels like it opens with a lot of him being very kind of introverted for obvious reasons. And then he sort of comes into his own. I actually – and to come back to sort of the Oracle scene, the reason that I love it so much is it feels like you really kind of fall for Neo in that scene. Yeah. He just feels like a real person who's who's surprisingly disappointed that he's not the one who really bought into all of it. Um, it's it's at the perfect point of the movie where you know it can slow down for a second and it can be a real character piece. Yeah. It can be a really beautiful scene between two people. Um, and the, and the waiting room stuff's great too. The waiting rooms, all that stuff. Like it it's it's so interesting how. This, how the movie really – I mean this is an editing thing but this is also a screenwriting thing. But just the, 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 the ebbs and flows of the film are really kind of perfect. It knows when it needs to jack things up and it knows when it can take a second and be really um, – I mean it's, it's, it's incredible stuff. That whole Oracle – and the Oracle thing is seeded into the story so well too because that's where Morpheus gets taken. So like you have mm-hmm. – that's a great screenwriting thing of like you know you have this tension hanging over it. But also like that scene for me is what – takes it from great movie to masterpiece like that mm-hmm. whole sequence and i don't think either of the sequels has a sequence quite like that I and i think that's what holds them back a little bit i like again to talk about black panther i think that is the function the scenes in the afterlife serve in that movie where he goes right. and communes with his ancestors or whatever like you need that thing that thing that's like a moment where the hero kind of clarifies the stakes and who they are and all of that and a lot of these modern Action movies that gets noted out or something, you know. It's just no, I there. totally agree with that. I, I also love the scene um, for all the reasons you guys are saying, but I also there's something that it does that that um, you never see in movies. I remember seeing this with my parents and feeling kind of uh, alienated on their behalf from what was happening on screen, and to slow it down and take you to essentially a grandma's kitchen. <laughs> Was a scene where I felt like we could all get on board with this scene together. You know, we could all calm down together. You're definitely not going to be afraid, afraid of this scene. You're definitely not going to feel confused in this scene. Even though some of those most important things that are happening in the movie are happening right now, mm-hmm. you definitely can come with me now. And I think that really, that kind of stuff That's really awesome. helped them and really even helped me, you know, feeling like, oh, so yeah, there is all this like kind of techno babble stuff going on mm-hmm. that I can I can work with a little bit but you still do care about me and making me feel comfortable mm-hmm. as you're taking me through this world. I I think it's such a masterstroke. Totally totally um, every second of it. I I, yeah. I think about it all the time. Yeah, it's so. really really beautiful stuff. So before we get into the plot, this feels like a good place to end part 1. Yeah. 
There are four people in this room. One of them isn't real, and you're going to find out next week which one. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great cliffhanger. It's better than the reloaded cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. Zing. Um, all right. Uh, next week, we'll continue this part episode two. part two. And uh, please, uh, please tune in. Thanks. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.